You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. How are you doing today? Excellent. Boy, boy, what a great place to be here on Sunday morning, isn't it? Well, we continue our series on the Upside Down Kingdom, and this week we uh, are going to tackle three parables in one, uh, three in one, a warning. The number one way that Jesus taught was through parables. The mystery of parables was that he did not try to illuminate the truth through parables. He actually intended to hide the truth in parables, and uh, it was to chase away those that weren't hungry for God and to draw those that were hungry for God. It was a third of all of his teachings, and the number one topic of those parables was the kingdom. So we were talking about the kingdom of God, and the interesting thing about the kingdom is that it's completely upside down of what we think a kingdom should be. They expected an earthly king. But what they got was a spiritual kingdom. And, uh, you know, the things that he says about how to operate in this kingdom are so upside down from even ourself. Uh, and because they're so confusing, the kingdom, the concept of upside down way of looking at life in the world, the parables are a way to maybe try to explain the kingdom to those that are hungry to know him. So we've been kind of taking a look at those, uh, the parables, weed out those uh, that are just wanting a slice of God from those that are truly hunger, who hunger for the righteousness of God. So last week we talked about a, a parable of growth. We talked about the parable of the sower. And, uh, well, the next three parables that we're going to look at today are also growth parables. Um, earlier that same day, he had a confrontation with some Pharisees, that, which kind of unleashed this whole parable of, well, corruption. And just so you know where we've been, check out this video right here. Parables. Huh, where to start? I got it. Two Texans walk into a saloon. No, that doesn't work. It's more of a joke. Parables, what are they? Spiritual lessons, not completely. Metaphors, well, kind of. Mind games, close but not really. Stories with deeper meanings, nah. Vantage points, perspectives, clever illustrations, sort of, kind of, no. Riddles. Huh, so I was going to say knives. I met a man with seven wives. He's what? Nah. Well, it's closer, but it still ain't the whole enchilada. The dictionary calls them simple stories used to illustrate a moral spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Well, that's wrong. But maybe I should be asking a different question altogether. Maybe we don't need to define what a parable is as much as discover why Jesus used them. So, put on your Sunday school hats and let's take a time rocket back to when Jesus walked the earth, shall we? Nice. Now put down your double espresso chai latte, sit up in your chair, and try to keep up with me if you can. Let's peek into Matthew and get a brief history of chapters 3 through 12. And when I say brief, I mean brief. John baptizes Jesus. The dove descends. His ministry begins. He's taken up a mountain, tempted by Satan, and he chooses his disciples. Here begins the amazing teaching chapters. Pretty clear, pretty straightforward. The Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, watch out for false prophets. Don't worry, go through the narrow gate, build your house on the rock, pray for your enemies, deep stuff, mind-boggling teaching. Now, enter the Pharisees. Testing Jesus, hoping to trip him up, fearing him. Moving forward, Jesus hangs out with his disciples. He gives them power to do great wonders. He tells people to take his yoke, for it's easy and his burden is light. And this slams us full speed right into the heart of chapter 12. The beginning of the day, the Pharisees attack Jesus for picking grain and feeding the disciples. Next, Jesus goes to the synagogue and heals a man, and the Pharisees don't like that either. And then he frees a demon-possessed man, and this really ticks him off. But here's where it all gets out of control. The Pharisees cross a line, a line that they never should have, by saying that Jesus cast out the demon through the power of Beelzebub. They actually ascribe the power of the Holy Spirit to the power of the devil, and that's a no-no, people, and that's where everything changes. Soon beginneth the parable speak. The straight, clear, and amazing teaching of Jesus switches to talking in parables. As a matter of fact, Matthew tells us that once he starts speaking in parables, that he doesn't say anything to them without using a parable. You don't believe me? Read it for yourself in Matthew chapter 13. 
but you find the verse. This isn't a sit back and have everything spoon-fed to you, church. you got to bench press the word every now and then, people, okay? Anyway, the point is he switched gears. He changed tactics. He kicked the Porsche in the fifth, if you know what I mean. You want to know why? Of course you do. That's why you're here. Part of it's prophecy. Psalm 78.2 says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things. Interesting. Hidden things. Parables. Already they're different than we first expected. Hey, the disciples asked Jesus why he spoke in parables. Here's what he said. I'll put it in red so you know it's authentic. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Sound strange? Sound like double talk? Well, it ain't. It's the kicker. You get truth and you handle it right, you get more. You get truth and you reject it, even what you have is yanked away. So back to the happy lesson. What did most of the people, including the Pharisees, do with the clear truth of what Jesus taught and the miracles they saw with their own eyes. Remember, you hear teaching, you see miracles. That'll make sense in a second, I promise. Now, just when you thought it was safe to tell stories, Jesus hurls this one at him, and this settles the perplexing parable problem permanently, people. This is why I speak to them in parables, he says. Though seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not understand. That's Isaiah 6, folks. Words which don't conjure up colorful Pixarian visuals, if you know what I mean. The point is the hearts of the people became calloused. They hardly hear with their ears anymore, and they have closed their eyes. And there it is, harsh stuff. They heard Jesus but didn't really pay attention. They saw his miracles and closed their eyes. They didn't believe. And now instead of the simple, straightforward teaching of chapters 3 through 12, what the crowds get are parables. Maybe so that those who are led by the Spirit will understand, and those who aren't won't. Those who seek will find. Hmm. Perhaps Jesus is no longer casting pearls before swine. I don't know. Perhaps it's grace because if they understood and rejected him, it would be far worse than if they didn't understand at all. Then again, it could just be an ancient game of Scrabble, and Jesus just placed an X on the triple letter, triple word score, and the Pharisees are reaching in the black bag of legalism, hoping to find a blank just to stay in the game. Who knows? You read. You decide. Whatever's going on, we've discovered parables are a lot more than meets the eye. But perhaps the most important statement is crystal clear right there in the text for all of us to see right there in Matthew 13, 9. He who has ears... Let him hear. Did you get that? That's kind of where we've been the last couple of weeks uh, in a nutshell. So uh, today we're going to pick it up right there in Matthew 13. This is the, this entire chapter contains seven kingdom parables. And we're going to, we looked at some last week. We're going to look at some this week. We'll look at some more next week. And that'll take us into Easter. And uh, we're going to jump right in. Today's parable answers one of the hotly debated questions of the centuries. Is the world getting better or is the world getting worse? This parable of, well, corruption. It's important to remember as we read this that Jesus, when he says the kingdom is like, he's not referring to the first thing in that parable. He's referring to the whole parable. All right? So as you read the parables and you'll say like the kingdom of God is like a man. Well, he's not referring to the man as the kingdom, but he's referring to the whole parable as a kingdom. So keep that in mind as we tackle these. He's talking about the big picture of the parable. All right. Matthew 13, verse 24 Here's another growth parable, a parable of sowing seed. Here's what he says in Matthew 20, uh, verse 24, chapter 13. Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, this is an enemy that tries to destroy the crop. The farmer sowed this good seed, and we, we know from the last parable, he's talking about, you know, 
um, the kingdom here, but he actually defines the seed as something different and unique here. But the enemy is purposely trying to destroy the crop. So he says, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and they went away. Verse 26, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, when the fruit became became, uh, apparent, then the weeds also appeared. Until then, as they were growing together, you could not tell what the wheat and what the tare was or what the weed was. It wasn't until they began to sprout the fruit and the lack of fruit in the wheat became apparent. Now, the type of, of weed here is what's known as darnell. It is a weed that actually looks like wheat. It kind of has a, a wheat head on it, but when it comes time for the head to develop into fruit of the grain, uh, it doesn't develop, and, it, and its weedness becomes apparent. So Jesus began to say that there were some weeds that began to sprout up amongst the... Uh, some weeds began to sprout up amongst the weeds. So... By the way, this darnell is a poisonous weed to anyone that eats it. When you eat darnell, it has a poison that can make you extremely sick. So this is what they said. Well, the, the owner's servants came to him and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy has done this, he replied. The servants asked, Do you want us to go and pull them up? We don't have weed killer. Do you want us just to start yanking out the weeds? And he says, no, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. He says, just let them be. Let them grow together. And then he says, let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. And then Jesus gives two follow-up mini parables, which we're going to look at in a minute. And these two mini parables are like very, very short. They're one verse, a parable. One of them is only like seven words. And he gives these two parables to back up this parable. We're going to look at them in just a moment. But he explains this parable, but he doesn't explain the other two. So the other two are actually quite debated on what they actually mean. And if you isolate them, they could mean anything. But since they're in the context of this picture of kind of lashing on the uh, the Pharisees, telling them that they're bad seeds, they're people of hard hearts, and he's referring to, you know, in the first parable that we talked about in Matthew 13, that there's four soils and one of them is a hard-hearted and the birds come and eat it away. He says, there's just some people aren't going to get this. And then he explains this parable. He says, so let them grow among you. Hmm. And then he explains two more. And then this is what it says, verse 34. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So it's fulfilled what was spoken uh, through the prophet that I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter these things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus often said these things. The purpose of the parables was to chase away those that were fans of Jesus and to draw on those that were followers of Jesus. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Well, the parables reveal that. If you're turning off going, man, this is lame. Well, you might be a fan. But if you're like, hmm, I don't understand. I want to understand. You might be a follower. He says that's what the parables do. They weed out those people. So 
the disciples were still new at this whole parable thing. So this is what it says in verse 36. Then he left the crowd and he went to the house. Now this chapter begins. Here's the scenario. About a thousand some people had followed Jesus. He goes out to the beach. They're all gathering at the beach. So as to not get lost in the crowd, he gets on a boat. He floats out into the boat a little bit and he sits down in the boat and everybody else stands and he preaches from the pulpit of the boat. At this point, the boat comes in and he leaves the crowd. Who knows how long that took to get the boat in, to take care of that, say goodbye, hug a few people, you know, love on some kids, whatever. But he left the crowd at this time. He's already shared all these parables and he goes into the house. And his disciples came to him during his coffee break and They asked him and said, explain to us this parable of the weeds and the wheat, the weeds in the field. We just don't get this parable. Explain to us this parable. Then he answered. He says, here's the deal. He says, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. He says, it's me. The farmer, that's me. I am the farmer, the son of man, Jesus. And then he says, verse 38, he says, the field is the world. A lot of people think the field is the church. It's not. The field is the world. So he says, I am the farmer. The field is the world. That's it. Everybody in the world, the opportunity to hear God is in the world. He says, the field is the world. That's you. That's everybody, not just believers, but every one of us in the world and everyone in this room, whether you are a Christian or not, you are the field. So he says, and the good seed stands For the people, I like this, for the people of the kingdom. He says that good seed, that's the kingdom people. That wheat that grows up, that fruitful wheat, that's the the believers. That's the kingdom of God. That's the believers. That's you if you are a Christian. He says you are the good seed. I like that. I like being called good seed. You know, you are in this world to be good seed. You are planted at work. You are planted in your school. You are planted in your neighborhood. You are planted there as good seed in your world. I love that. And he says, it stands for the people of the kingdom. Mm, I love being called a person of the kingdom. I'm a people of the kingdom. And then he says, and the weeds or the tares are the people, mm, the people of the evil one. He's not saying it's not the influences of the evil one. He says it's people. He's getting pretty specific. He says the fruitful wheat are the kingdom people. The weeds, the tares, the stuff that looks like wheat until their fruit is made known. They're a poison in this world. They are evil people. They are Satan's people as we, the wheat, are God's people. He says, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. Wow. So you've got a cast of five. You've got Jesus. You've got the world. You've got believers. You've got the evil people. And you've got Satan. A cast of five characters in this story. I'm going to give you some insights from the sower here. Some things from this parable. I want you to know that I think Jesus is really nailing a home here. And this is the first one. You want to write this down. Is that the kingdom will grow on the earth in the hearts of people. The kingdom will grow. I love that. Good news all around the world today. 
and tomorrow, depending on the calendar day, because of the way that the cycle of the planet works, it's yesterday already today. You know, it was Sunday yesterday for parts of the world. You know what? Around the globe, there are believers, good seed, people of the kingdom, gathering and celebrating the sower. I love that. All around the world, the Holy Spirit is still working and moving in the hearts of people. Some of you today, you're coming and you're checking out church. You haven't bowed the knee to Christ. You haven't made him your king. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is working in you. I love that. God is still working and growing in the hearts of the people of this planet. People are understanding. People are turning from their sin and turning to Jesus around the globe. People are growing in kingdom truth. Somebody at work who you've been working on is growing. Someone here who hasn't quite crossed the line and accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit is growing and working on you. I love this. The kingdom of God is and will grow. Colossians 1.6, the Apostle Paul told the church Colossae this. He said, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. He's telling the church that, guess what? You're growing and there are people all over the world who are, who have, who have understood and are growing just like you. I love that the, that the Bible tells us that we're not alone in this world. The kingdom is growing. If you've ever been on a mission trip, I love to visit churches around the globe. In South America, in Europe, wherever I get to to travel, it's exciting to be in the midst of a culture that's different than yours, in a language maybe you don't understand, in a music that you're not really used to hearing, that you may not even like, or you do like. But it's exciting to be in a room full of believers in another culture, lifting up the name of Jesus. You don't understand the words. You don't understand all the preacher. You don't understand the music. But you understand that God is getting glory. And people are growing. And the kingdom is flourishing in the hearts of people around the world. I love that. If you ever get a chance to travel, just relish in the culture of believers around the world that are growing. He says, around the world, it's going to happen. But in the same field, there is another sower. Not only is God sowing seed, but Satan is sowing seed. Matthew 13, 26, he says, when the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. It wasn't until the fruit was evident that you could tell the difference. And he says, the weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The devil, the Satan is real. And here's the second thing I want you to know is that evil will continue to grow in the earth, in the hearts of people. Not only is the kingdom of God growing, thank God for that. It's exciting to see God working in the hearts of people. But we need to understand that the enemy is sowing seeds of evil in people's hearts and evil will continue to grow until the harvest. Evil will continue to grow in the hearts of people in this earth, in this world. Jesus' people, believers, and Satan's people, false believers, are in this world right now, both getting stronger and both are growing in this world. In Matthew 13, he says, let them grow together until the harvest. They're growing. So when you think about the the weeds, the people who, who are deceptively leading people astray, the evil heart of the wickedness of this world, Guess what? It will continue to grow. 
it is growing. Some of you, you see it growing. You see it growing in a culture. You see it growing in, 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 in corrupt governments. It's debated for centuries, is the world getting better or worse? Well, yes and no. The conditions of the world might be improving. The average lifespan is longer than it's ever been. Technology is greater than it's ever been. New discoveries, health, the, the ability to, to save people's lives through the science of health care. Conditions of the world are improving. The kingdom is expanding, but at the same time, internally things are not. There are more deprived, more disconnected, more disloyal, depressed, and wandering hearts in this world, for the world is in decay. And Jesus is describing a world in which Satan is active. It is an age in which we live today. It is an age in which they lived then. But as the kingdom of God grows, evil grows as well. And guess what? They grow together in this world. Satan is actively at work trying to destroy the kingdom of God and you. This is very important that we get this today. First Peter 5a says, Be alert and be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's the enemy. The enemy of God is not your brother. It's not your sister. It's not your parents. It's not your children. They are not the enemy of God. The enemy of God is the devil who works in the hearts of people, who sows seeds into the lives of people. And he's looking into your life, into the world, seeking whom he might devour. John 10.10 says that the thief, that's the devil, comes to do nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. Jesus said, but I've come to give you life and life abundant. But the enemy has a plot for us. Jesus has a plan. I want to give you a few thoughts here because we're talking about the devil. He is a straw man. He is a weak, flimsy being that you need to get in proper perspective. If you are a believer, you have no reason to be afraid of him. Because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. The spirit, this demonic force, the devil, you have no reason to be fearful. If you are not a believer, totally different story. Because greater that's in the world is greater than you. And he's the enemy of your life, of your soul. And you don't have the power of God to overcome. This is the word. This is what Jesus said. Let's take a look at some, some I've got a whole bunch of verses in your, in your notes. Take them home, look them up. But I want to clear up some things. Understand this about the enemy. Number one is that Satan is real, but his power is limited. He is not a secondary force. He is not able to do everything God can do. In fact, he can hardly do anything at all. He is a created being. He is a fallen angel. And the only power that the devil has are the powers of an angel. Whatever he might have been given as an angel. He is a fa- He is not omnipresent. The devil is not everywhere at one time. He is only one place. He is not God. He is not omniscient. He does not know all things. He does not comprehend the past, the present, nor the future. He only lives in the present and makes his deceptive guesses and lies to us about the future. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. God is all-powerful. The devil has very little power. I've got some verses there that kind of give you an idea of some of his limitations in the powers of a typical angel. 
Here's the second thing you need to know about this straw man is that God's power is absolute. Satan's is not. Got some passages there. Satan will attempt to stop the kingdom, but he will never be able to stop the kingdom. Jesus even said that my church, I will build, I will do something great on this earth, and the gates of hell cannot stop it. That's what Jesus said. There's nothing that the devil can do, no no matter how many weeds are growing on this planet, in this church, in this world, or in your office or at work, wherever in your school, no matter how many weeds there are, they will never overcome, never overcome the kingdom of God. For God is absolutely powerful and in control. Got some verses here. Check them out. And this is the last thing you need to know is that Satan's most powerful weapon has always been the lie. The lie. John says that he is the father of all lies. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and they were shouting this this accusational lies about Jesus. And he says, ah, you're just like your dad, the devil. (laughs) That's crazy. He says, "You're, you're children of the devil. I've heard of children of the corn. They're children of the devil. And uh, you, you speak just like him. Nothing but lies come from you. He's the father of lies. And you know what the enemy will do? He will lie to you. He will tell you that, that he and God have the same powers, and, or he might lie to you about his power, about his deception, about his ability to work and move in your life. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus and he is not the savior of your life and the king and the daddy of your heart, then you should be afraid of this enemy who wants to devour you. If you are a believer, take great courage, for he who has overcome the world is Jesus Christ who is in you. And there's nothing that the enemy can't do without the Father's permission. So there's something interesting here that you need to realize. He will lie to you about your family, about yourself, about your kids, about your work, about your future, about your home. He will lie to you through Fortune-telling through astrology. He will lie to you through, you know, the dark arts or the occult. He will lie to you. He's a liar. That's what he does best. That's his greatest powerful tool. So this parable also tells us this. We're going to write this down. That the difference between true and false believers isn't always obvious. Jesus said that it wasn't until the fruit became evident that you couldn't tell the difference between them. There are people in this world who look just like believers. There are people in a church that look just like believers. The wheat, God's people, and the weed, Satan's people, they look a lot alike. The Darnell is a copy of the wheat. But the Darnell is a poison. And the fruit of the stalk of its, of its growth is a poison to all those that eat it. And weeds, especially in the early stages of growth, look just like wheat. Likewise, a false believer a symbol, uh, resembles a true believer. Matthew seven twenty two, he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, well, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is Jesus talking about the harvest day, that there will be those among the believers that were never truly in, that were never truly in the kingdom, that never truly allowed Jesus to be king of their life, though they had some evidence that appeared that they were. Jesus said, you know what? There are some among you that are even doing good things, spiritual things that aren't truly mine. 
wow, that's kind of harsh and confusing. What are you? Are you a weed this morning? Are you a weed or are you wheat? Check this verse out, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourselves. And this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth a church that was truly struggling with its walk with God. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? I love that. He says, don't you realize you are a Christian unless you're not? Some of you think that you are, but you're not. What's the test? Well, the test, have you bowed the knee to Christ? Is he the king of your life? Are you a follower or are you a fan? Are you someone who goes to church, attends church, even reads your Bible and does good things? Are you one who truly lives and breathes to glorify the Messiah, the king, God in the flesh, who is Lord of your life? Is he the king? Have you acknowledged him as the king? The kingdom will fully be established when Jesus returns. Until then, false teachers, pastors, false pastors, Christian players, churchgoers, and people will look like kingdom people but are not. They will be among you. Until then, Jesus goes on to explain in uh, verse 39, he says, the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels and the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire. So it will be at the end of the age. In the parable, he says that the weeds will be pulled first and then they will be bundled up and then they will be burnt. And then Jesus explains that these weeds, these people, those that are not true believers, those that are actually poisoned on the planet, he says they will be pulled and burned. Wow. Write this down. Evil, I want you to know this, will, evil and those who cause it will be dealt with eventually. Some of you think, well, man, I'm getting away with so much right now. And if God was real, <laughs> man, he's a sucker. No, you're the sucker. Because a lot of you think you're getting away with things, but eventually you will be pulled and you will be bound and you will be burned. Wow. Ted, that's harsh. I'm sorry. I'm just reading what Jesus said. And I will never apologize for that. We are to live and give the kingdom to all those around us. We are to serve. We are to love. We are to fight for injustice. We are to feed those that are hungry, care for those that cannot care for themselves, reach out to the poor and the hurting, but we will never overcome evil in this world until Jesus returns. But Jesus will truly overcome it. At that time, in the time of Christ, they assumed that the kingdom would come immediately that Jesus and all his superpowers was going to overthrow the Roman government and set up an earthly king and vindicate the righteous at that moment and wipe out the injustice of the world. But Jesus said, "Mm -mm." the kingdom begins in the heart and then the kingdom on this earth will come at the end of the age, at the great harvest. Until then, walk the kingdom, live the kingdom, Be a snapshot of the kingdom in the lives of those around you. According to the parable, the weight was for the believer's benefit so that you can grow. Look at this, Matthew 28. It says, the enemy did this. They replied, the servant asked him, "Uh, do you want us to go and pull them up? And he said, no, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. He says, you know what? I am waiting for the purpose of those that are young in their faith might be 
rooted and growing. So I think that's kind of cool. He's waiting for our benefit. This is not about avoiding dis- discipline. This is uh, because Jesus talked about that in Matthew 18. This is about knowing that Jesus will not do anything visible to end the pain and suffering of this world until he comes. We are agents of hope and life in this world until he comes. So Jesus continues, Matthew 13, 41. He says, the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. This is the return of Jesus. And they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's eternal judgment. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So there's two destinies here. And then he says, whoever has ears, let him hear. I want you to write this down. Not everyone makes it into the kingdom. This is the ongoing message of every parable that Jesus gives, that there is a great divide, a division between the kingdom of heaven and the people of the kingdom and those who miss it or who don't understand or those that have rejected the kingdom and that there will come a day when the righteous will enter into the joy of the kingdom and the others will be divided and burned in eternal judgment away from this glorious kingdom. That's the reality of the parables. And a lot of people, well, Jesus, that's not very nice. That's uncool. We're out of here. I want a church that preaches everybody goes to heaven. And the parables did their job. They weed out those that want to slice and not those who are hungry. Well, I don't like this whole talk about death and the afterlife and hell and the devil. That's just wrong love each other. Let me have a message on just being loving and caring and everybody goes to heaven and it's a happy ending for everybody. Well, you know, that's not what the parables teach us. The parables weed out the people that would like that. And the Bible says that many left him every time he shared a parable. He divided the crowd even more. It's interesting. Not everyone will make it into the kingdom. Jesus used parables constantly to remind us of this great divide. Turn to your neighbor, look at them in the face, and says, Are you gonna be ask him, are you gonna be there? You see, the parables are a reminder of why he came. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, I don't know. I hope so. Well, you can know so today. He says, uh, you know, these parables, they were they're a reminder of why I came because we're dead in our sin, and I've come to rescue you from your sin. The upside down of it all, that he came to give life by giving his life. To give you life, he must die. And that's the resurrection story that proves that it was true. So Jesus shares how the enemy will work to derail the kingdom, and then he gives too many parables, often debated over because they're not explained. So I'm going to share them to you, uh, share them with you and give them to you uh, real quickly. Um, a little background on these parables, first of all, is that uh, neither explain and both follow a rebuke of the religious and corrupt church. These two parables, these two tiny parables are found in three of the Gospels, and each time it follows after he rebukes the Pharisees. So keep that in mind, and parables of the chapter 13 put it all in context. So he says this in verse 31, he says, he told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, 
Again, this is another growth parable. Remember, there's the, the good soil, and now there's the wheat and the, and the tares, and now here's a mustard seed and its growth. He says, it's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in the field, and though it is the smallest of all seeds, or one of the smallest of all seeds, uh, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so the birds come and perch in its branches. End of parable. So I've got a bird here representing the bird, and I've got these little seeds. Jesus often used the mustard seed to, to uh, reference the faith of those that are in the kingdom. He said, if you have faith of a mustard seed, if you just have a little faith in me, you can do the impossible. He says, you can move mountains. He says, if you can just begin with just the amount of faith you can muster up, the mustard seed, if you can give me just a little bit of your faith, if you can just give me everything you have, a little bit of faith can do a lot of good if you're trusting in me. And then he says, the kingdom of God is like that same mustard seed. Though it's small and unassuming, it will grow larger than it's imagined. And I want you to to realize this, that the seed is God's word. It's God's people. It could even be the kingdom. We don't know exactly, but we know that the seed represents the kingdom of God and its people. Small, humble beginnings. It will grow and provide food, rest, and shelter for the believer and the unbeliever. So this is the miracle of the mustard seed. And, and this is so amazing. The seed in the kingdom, it's, he's saying, you know what? This kingdom that you think I've come to establish, it's not what you had imagined. It's so unnecessary. I came, the creator of the universe came humbly as an infant and was laid in a food trough among the animals. I came in without fanfare, so unassuming, so humbled. But my kingdom will grow far beyond your imaginations. He says, that's the kingdom of God. He was talking to his disciples here. Remember, he's already gone to the house. And he's following up on this other parable about the growth of the weeds and the tares. And they're probably thinking, oh, man, the weeds and the tares. God, is there any hope for us? He goes, no, it's like the seed. Oh, you're going to grow. It's going to be bigger than you can imagine. Write this down. Never underestimate what God can do. Never underestimate. The kingdom of heaven came in a humble, unassuming way, Jesus. And the kingdom in the earth had a small start in this little tiny group of men. This small, homeless group of men and women walking the countryside through the power of the Holy Spirit became the body of Christ, the church. And now it's the greatest force on the earth. What began as 120 people sold out to Jesus now numbers nearly 2.5 billion people on the planet who are this weekend praising the name and lifting up the name of Jesus who around the world are clothing, serving, caring for, and fostering those who are poor, fighting injustice. When no one else will, the kingdom has grown to unimaginable levels. But then he says this, but be careful because there's birds coming. And in that first parable of the parable of the sowers, he already told us that the birds represent corruption. They represent agents of the devil. So check this out. He says, the kingdom will grow, and from the outside, corruption will attempt to nest itself in the kingdom. The kingdom will always be under attack by the enemy. And they won't just come and go. They'll actually nest with you. Remember, he just got done talking about the Wheat and the tares growing together. So he says, you will grow to unimaginable levels, but also be aware the enemy will come 
and he will attack, and he will always be there to try to destroy what God is doing. The presence of evil and corruption. I've got some passages there where Jesus often used the birds to reference evil and corruption. Write this down. The enemy will keep trying. (laughs) The enemy will keep trying. Once you, if you are a believer and you've got victory over an area of your life, you're like, woo, done with that one. Thank you. Check it off the list of struggles. No, the bird will come back. The enemy will come back. He will try to nest in your life. He will come and he will try to peck at you and eat the fruit of your life. He will try to bring corruption into the kingdom of God, into your family, into a church, into the world. He says, with great growth in the kingdom, there will still be those who will come from without and nest and try to destroy you. Many of you guys, you you struggle with sin, and you know what? Through Jesus, you have victory, but that struggle may be there for a long time as the enemy knows your weak area of your life, and he will attempt to come and pick at you and peck at you and draw at you and nest in your life, and he will try to get you to accept his presence in your life. Don't have it. Don't have it. This is a warning from Jesus. The kingdom will grow, but the enemy will try to infiltrate it. Be careful of the nesters. The enemy will not quit. The enemy will keep on trying. Peter and Paul warns us of this continually. In the New Testament, leaders, they said, will lead you astray. False teachers with a false gospel will try to lead you astray. They will come from the outside as wolves and try to pick at you and tear apart the work of God that's in you. So to back this up, Jesus gives a very... Another mini parable about, (laughs) look at this, about dough. Now, let me preface this. I made this dough last night. That's right. Ted Blair made some dough. And uh, I was joking with my daughter. I brought my dough and I got my weed. So we're good. She thought it was funny. (laughs) So I made some dough last night. And I want you to understand this because Jesus talks about a parable of the leavened bread or the parable of the yeast, depending on the translation. Let me explain how this works. To help us understand it, let me give you some background, the leaven process. When it comes to uh, the dough, they would have a ball of dough that they would keep each and every time they made dough. And this dough would have the bacteria, the, le- the yeast, the, le- the leaven inside of it. Basically, leaven is growing bacteria. It is necessary for bread to rise. And they didn't have powdered yeast like we have. They would actually take old dough and keep it so that the bacteria could continue to grow. And then when they made their bread, they would make their new dough and then take their ball of leavened bread, their 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 basically fermented because that's what it is. It's fermented Uh, bread, and they would knead it into the dough, and eventually the entire amount of dough would be completely now leavened. All it took was a small amount of leaven to leaven the whole loaf. That's what it means. So they would leaven the bread. They would they would make the bread, and then you'd let it set, and it would rise, and then you'd fix it. Well, in the Old Testament, They often used the concept of leaven 
It was always a symbol of corruption. In fact, it is mentioned 71 times in the Old Testament. Every time is a picture of sin and corruption. At the exodus of Egypt, they were to make unleavened bread because they were about to be set free from the bondage of of, uh, Egypt, which represented sin. And they were to travel with unleavened bread as they were set free from their sin. And throughout the Old Testament, every time they made bread as an offering, all of their offering bread that was to be brought to the altar had to be unleavened bread without the presence of leaven because leaven represented sin and corruption. And this bread as an offering represented Christ and Christ was to come unleavened, sinless with us. The only time they were allowed to add leaven to the bread is when it represented themselves as an offering to God, people full of sin in God. It was so specific, leaven was always a symbol of corruption. In the New Testament, the same thing. Jesus often talked about the leaven of the Pharisees. The evil, those that were among you that were, had sin and corruption, he said, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. At another time, he said, be careful of the leaven of the Sadducees. Those are the guys that knew every letter of the law. And then he said, those that were the legalistic, non-spiritual types. And then he said, be careful of the leaven of Herod, the one who looks like you, but he lives worldly and full of the corruption and pleasures of this life. And then he says, be careful of the leaven of false teachers. And then Paul in the New Testament said, be careful of those who come among you as leaven to leaven the whole dough of the body of Christ. Throughout the entire Bible, leaven is always representative of evil. So with that in mind, Jesus gives this parable in Matthew. He says, right after he says, the bird will come from the outside to pick at the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. He says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like yeast, leaven alone, by the way. Uh, he says, he says uh, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a 60 pounds of flour. Now, 60 pounds of flour, by the way, feeds about 100 people. So it wouldn't be a little hand-fill of of dough like this, it would be like a giant, massive ball of dough. I mean, when the when when you're looking at sixty pounds of flour, this is this is like three cups of flour. Imagine sixty pounds of flour. So he said it's like. So he's talking about a large number. So he's talking about a large kingdom. And he says this. Listen to this. And then he says, now listen to what he listen with their ears. Remember, with their ears, they thought, all right, here's a woman. 60 pounds. By the way, that is the exact measurements for the offering of the showbread. So immediately they're thinking, oh, she's making the offering bread. And then he says, it's like a woman who does three measures or 60 pounds and puts leaven in it and needs it. And they're going, she added leaven to the offering bread? Immediately they would have raised their eyebrows. And he says, so she adds it until it works all through the dough. And the whole thing is now leaven. End of story. A lot of people have, have looked at this and said, well, this is a Christian and this is Jesus. And when he comes in your life a little bit and he starts working in your life, then all of a sudden he takes over your whole life. Some people have said that this is the kingdom of God. And when Jesus comes, he's going to come into the world and work in the world and the whole world will become a Christian. 
It's not what it means. In the context of what he's saying, he says, there are weeds among you, there are birds among you, and then there is leaven among you, another sign of corruption. In the kingdom of God, he says, there will be those as the mustard seed, as the enemy will come from the outside, he says, just as the enemy will come from the inside and begin to work his way through you. This is interesting here. The enemy will attempt to corrupt from the inside. Like the yeast, you don't always see the corruption at work. Like the yeast, this corruption starts small. The job works slowly, secretly, silently, but no one can deny the effect on the bread. As the kingdom grows, so will religious corruption. There will be those who turn from the faith and who are led astray. So be ready. That's the, whole, that's the context of all those four. So this is a growth parable as well. As the leaven grows inside of the kingdom. Hidden in our meals, Satan subtly strikes against the truth. The leaven of the Pharisees was hypocrisy and formality. The leaven of the Sadducees was skepticism and a lack of the supernatural. The leaven of Herod was self-indulgence. The level of the church, the leaven of the church in the New Testament was distorted doctrine, greed, pride, and control. Paul referred to it in Galatians 5.9. He says, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. So write this down. This is the last thing, the last thought I want us to end on, is that even the little things can lead you astray in big ways. Even the little things can lead you astray in big ways. What's going on inside matters. What are you allowing in your life? What seeds has the enemy sown into your life? into your family, into your heart? Where is the enemy attempting to nest in your life? He's getting comfortable and you're allowing him. Where's that small leaven that you've allowed into your life? The enemy is working in you and you've almost accepted it. It's just a part of your life. Jesus is giving us a very clear warning of growth here. What's going on inside matters. What can't be seen matters. Some of you men are battling with things that you have not talked to anybody about. And it matters because it could be the very thing that brings you down. We're going to meet this Saturday at IHOP. We want to invite you guys to join us at the IHOP just right over here. And we're going to have breakfast and we're going to begin a new journey with our men here. I want to invite you to come as we weed out some of these things in our life. Women, what is it that's in your heart that you're free to talk about? Tonight, Illuminate. Our ladies' ministry meets tonight. It's a great chance for you to connect with women and look at the things trying to nest in your life that you need to chase away. Because the little things eventually will make a big difference for good and for bad if they're good things. In a church, in a ministry, in a home, in a heart, don't be fooled. That little thing matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much 
that you gave us these parables to those that are hungry. And Lord, I pray that as we were hungry today, that we understood these parables, that we understood the picture that these represented, that God, the sower, the farmer, tells us that few people will get it, but Lord, I pray that these people got it. Lord, the wheat and the weeds, they tell us that God is planting seeds and the enemy is planting seeds. Open our eyes, God, to the seeds of the enemy that are planted in this world and in our life. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the great things that you want to do in our life, the miracles, the abundance of mission and vision in our life. But God, help us to understand that the birds that will try to come and corrupt the kingdom in our life. And Lord, open our eyes to be careful of the growing sin that no one sees inside of us that is working its way through our life. God, help us. God, we humbly come before you and ask you that you would purify our heart and purify our life. Right where you are, will you just kind of look at your heart today and ask, are you a weed or a wheat? And I want you to search your heart. Is there any seed sown in your life, a bird that's nesting in your life, or a little leaven that's trying to work its way through your life? Can you identify what they are? God, help us, Lord, to identify them. God, set us free. God, great and mighty are you. The enemy is a liar. He is a thief. God, we will not accept these lies of the enemy. He is a foolish little nuisance of a bird. And God, the kingdom is great and your spirit is greater. If you're here and you're battling something, if you're struggling with something, know that the Lord is great and he is able to overcome what you battle and what you struggle. He is a gracious, caring God who longs to reach out to those that are hungry for him. As we worship in these next few minutes, I'm going to have Sean come. We're going to uh, take up our offering real quick, but we're going to, uh, I'm going to ask you guys to come forward, but we're going to worship God. And during this time of worship, I want you guys just to say, Lord, have your way in me, work in me, pull the weeds, God, shake the bushes, chase the birds away, and God, help me to purify the dough of my life. We allow the Lord to do that. Rather than lead you in a prayer today, I'm going to ask you to just do it on your own. Just ask the Lord to talk to you, to forgive you, to cleanse you. He is gracious to do those that humbly come before Him. God, thank you so much that you are with us and you are working in us. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would be glorified in us, Lord. Those people of God, the people of the kingdom, God, help us to grow and identify the enemy in our life and his tricks Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.